Welcome to more than a few words of marketing podcast for small business owners. My name is Lorraine Ball and I help small businesses become big businesses. And this morning I'm really excited. Um, Allison and I are joined by um, Jennifer Riley Simone. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. And for those of you that recognize the name and can't remember where you've heard it before, um, Jen was one of our glorious interns who has gone on to even more glorious adventures. I don't know about that. I don't know what can top round peg. Well, okay, well, different, different adventures that may or may not come with a cat. <laughs> so Jennifer, tell folks what you're doing now. Let's start there. Okay, I work for two different companies. I do the internet marketing for a small pet product manufacturing firm called Coochie Pets. That's with a P, not an H. Um, people, um, they make Coochie Bells, which are bells that you hang on the door and your dog brings them to go outside. So I do their social media and digital marketing. And then I work for Alpha Graphics, a local printing firm, expanding their marketing services. And so as, as people are listening, they're thinking, okay, the show's topic is environmental marketing. She does pets and printing. Where does the environment come in? Exactly. Well, I started off my career in marketing and management and started taking classes at, in urban planning and I class in environmental management and fell in love and went off and got my master's in environmental management. And it's kind of always been a theme of mine to um, incorporate the environment and how I live and I'm pretty much or organic and green as I possibly can be. Um, but I never approached the environment as um, how I'm going to help market products. It's always been um, working with constituent groups and trying to develop consensus around an environmental idea or cause. Okay, so let's let's take that side of it first, and then let's drift over to the other side and talk maybe good and bad applications of, of environmental and marketing, because everybody wants to be green. Um, when you're marketing an environmental cause, how do you build interest, build awareness? I mean, how do you use marketing tools to create a, a platform for those messages? Well, I think it's like marketing everything else. It's knowing your constituency, what's going to, where their eyeballs are, being in front of them, and what is going to interest them. Um, usually with an environmental cause, there's a lot of passion behind it and it's pretty easy to identify the people that are going to take on your platform. Um, sustaining your interest can be kind of difficult and helping them come to a decision that's going to benefit the people who are not agreeing with them as well is kind of the what interests me and what I find is the difficult part. Instead of trying to get people to buy a product, you're trying to get people to come to a consensus and agree so you can move forward a, a platform. Does anyone agree on anything these days? I mean, there needs to be the proper motivation. You know, um, people need to come down and sit down like adults and <laughs> talk with one another and try to figure out what an end goal is. I was trained in consensus building within the environment and that is, it's a very long process of bringing people to the table and getting them to agree on, okay, we're going to need it this time every week. Oh, we're going to use this methodology to 
um, together, we're going to have six to eat every day. And so you just kind of build the decision-making process to get people bought into the end result. Um, interesting causes you've been involved in. What was big success? Let's just go big success. Well, what was the fun, what was the fun one? Well, um, when I lived out in Berkeley, I um, helped with the Tijuana River allocation, water allocation issues, and um, there was a working document that came out at the end of a very, very long process. And I learned a great deal from that and sitting in on the meetings and listening to people talking and um, putting their hackles up for this is my position and then sitting back down because they had gotten their word out and then being willing to uh, listen to everybody else. The goal was to come to a consensus. Everybody was bought into it, so they did. Um, I also worked uh, for a not-for-profit in Connecticut with the Farmington River and really just creating awareness of people uh, not polluting it, what the importance of protecting our waters. Um, and there was a lot, I was proud of that because there was a lot more involvement by the community and a lot more awareness, and that was really the point. How did you get the community involved? I, a lot of it is just awareness. It's putting the information out there and letting them know the kind of dishwasher soap that they put in their dishwasher affects the river behind their house. And it's not just that, don't use it, don't use that, use this. This is something that is readily available. This is why you would want to do it. Um, and Connecticut is filled with a lot of small towns and you're very close to the land that you live in. So it, that made it a little easier too. It wasn't this far away river that no one saw and was affecting their neighbors more than them. Now you have lived and worked in various environmental colleges all over the country, from Berkeley to Connecticut, as you mentioned, but also Nebraska and here in Indiana. I have to imagine that um, getting things accomplished in each of those different places was a little bit different. Some yes. things maybe harder than others. <laughs> I mean, probably, I mean, let's face it, in Berkeley, people are interested in these issues, right? At least that's the perception. They are. Um, and here's what gets tricky to me about green marketing, because a lot of people get into the fad of being able to say, I look at the bag that I use, mm -hmm. and um, I do, I eat all organic, and I only use the deodorant that is a rock, so that's why it smells kind of funny. <laughs> But it's part of their culture there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if they were, what, the difficulty that I found is it was very easy to be an environmental, environmentally aware person in Berkeley. It was much harder to be that person when I lived in Omaha, Nebraska. Because the products weren't there, pe people didn't necessarily always offer you the environmental alternatives. They didn't offer it because they didn't really care. But it wasn't about that. You would talk about, I would talk about, buying organic food and they would look at me like, well, that's really expensive. I just don't understand why you would do that. But I would talk to them about why and then, you know, it's actually tastier. Like, well, yeah, you know, this deep fried thing tastes just fine to me. So I don't really <laughs> need to worry about that. And now that there aren't environmentally aware people all over the country, I think um, it's easier to be part of a larger group. You have a larger voice than being the sole person in the windy state of Nebraska your voice gets lost. Okay, so because I know you came through here and we've trained you just a little on social media, if you would 
be going back and approaching some of these causes now and trying to build constituency or build awareness, how would you use the tools that are so much a part of your marketing for Poochie Valve um, to build awareness for some of those causes? What I think social media offers is a way for like-minded people to come together on a more um, consistent basis, really be able to build off one another. Um, so much of the environmental world is grassroots built, and it is such a powerful tool to get your message out. Um, Do you think it would be easier um, to, to feel like you were part of a community or a culture that sustained that if you had an active? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, it might even be easier to organize around an issue in person if we could have access to those uh, digital methods. Cool. All right. So let's flip over and let's talk the other side of it because every company, and, uh, and, and honestly, we do a lot of work with, with heating and air conditioning companies right now. And so you've got some, some refrigerants that are less harmful to the environment. So they're all they want to hang this green ribbon around their whole business. Pros and cons of that side of the environmental marketing. When I started my master's degree, I will date myself, and that was in the mid-90s, and there was a very big green push at that time. But my master's degree was very hot, people getting hired immediately out of school, um, a lot of ISO 9000, mm -hmm. and, um, then the economy really started to heat up and it left. People didn't need that niche anymore to sell their product. This is the way I see it. Oh, wow. So the fad kind of left. It didn't leave completely. I think it's built up to a particular point and now that the economy is going back down and we're trying to find our niches again and we've had the you know, oil prices going up again, it's on everybody's mind. We're now starting at a higher level of awareness of green marketing, and it is just people are using it again. You know, it's kind of interesting because on the one hand, I think, you know, what you're saying is that as the economy cycles down and everybody's scrambling for their piece of a declining market, they're looking for the thing that, that sets them apart. But at the same time, as the economy cycles down, consumers' pressure points. Um, when I have lots of money and a secure job, I'll spend $25 more for groceries to get organic. When I'm cutting costs, I buy the stuff I can fry and it'll taste just fine. So it, it's almost like what companies are marketing and what um, people are buying are kind of at odds because of the economy. Well, I agree. Though right now I, what I see a lot of is energy savings mm -hmm. being green. Mm -hmm. So that would appeal to both sides. Well, we're actually seeing that with the clients that we're working with right now. They're they're an HVAC company, and they have a branch dedicated just to being green. When we talked to them about what their messaging needed to be on their website currently, it was all, you know, reduce your carbon footprint, you know, save the environment, rah, rah, rah. But when we really talked to them, they said, no one's buying because of that. They're buying because their utility bill is less. That other little part is just an added bonus. Well, I'm helping a small environmental firm who is selling a water-saving product to the HVAC world, and it is purely about the savings on chemical and on water. It is not about having a green footprint. It is there, but it's not what's going to motivate people 
to move forward. So it's so really right right now the messaging in, in green marketing is save money and the environment too, as opposed to the way I think a lot of people tried to do it, which was save the okay, in, in Berkeley, California, you can do save the environment and a little money too. Yeah. In Omaha, Nebraska, in Indianapolis, it's save money and by the way the environment gets gets their share. But I think it depends on your market too. There are still people here in Indianapolis who want to buy green. And if you are selling a product that's that target market, you're gonna to want to talk about that. It just may be a smaller market now. Well it is a smaller market and I believe there's research out there that shows that when given a choice of two identical products at two identical price points and one says it's green and one says it's not, people will go for the green one. But if there's even a slight price differential, people will just go for the regular one. That's what the research is showing time and time again. If they can, they'll do it, but people are not crossing the street to, do green, to be green by and large. Well, and that's why I like organizations like the Nature Conservancy, because their mission is to save the planet and perpetuate species, but they understand that people do not act purely on altruistic motivation. That there is, we all need to eat. Companies need to make a profit. They need to make it worthwhile on a bottom line basis to help protect the environment. And I, I would like to see, you know, being an environmentalist, I'd like to see policy changes that help, you know, reflect environmental costs and things that we do, like our energy. So we're paying more. So it would be beneficial to all of us to buy the greener product. There would be that price difference. So instead of subsidizing, um, you know, farm subsidies, so farmers don't have to grow corn, subsidize so that um, they grow, they use organic feed, or yes, to, to bring those costs. Because in most markets, you do have to bring the costs in line. Absolutely. So um, we're sitting here and we're enjoying our conversation with. Jen, but if you've got a question about environmental marketing, or just Jen in general, um, give us a call at 805-285-9865, or go ahead and put it up on Twitter, tag it with pound MTFW, or just direct it to at Roundpeg. Allison is definitely managing that uh, Twitter account today and uh, is responding to conversations. We'd love, we would love to hear from you. Oh, uh, I, did your computer bite you? No, I'm sorry. I just switched back over to the, the chat, and I've noticed the guests have been logging in and out, but they've, they've popped in, popped out, and they haven't asked any questions. Okay, folks, you guys, jump into the chat room. Let us know you're there. In the meantime, environmental marketing, if somebody was starting out now uh, down a path of a career in environmental marketing, knowing what you know about the ups and the downs, what would you tell them? Where should they focus? What should they, what, what, what's going to bring them success? What's going to bring them heartache here in the Midwest? Oh, goodness. I think it's going to depend on um, what your goal is. If you're going to, if you're a marketer first, and you just want to help a company who would like to target their marketing through green aspects, I think that's very different than being someone who believes in the environment and the cause and trying to perpetuate that through marketing. I would go for the latter, um, being a passionate person who likes to be able to get up in the morning and love what I do. I would be going for picking a cause 
and understanding that if it's a lot of convincing. A lot of your marketing is going to be around educating and convincing people um, to spend their money in a different way. Yes. Um, it, it, if you go that path, if you're looking to take a cause, um, and I think this would be with any not-for-profit or any any other causes, is finding bridges that make sense back to um, back to business. Finding partners who would be a natural uh, conduit for those messages. Uh, I mean, does, does that make sense? Absolutely, and I think there are companies who are examples of success in um, being building themselves on the green platform like Ben and & Jerry's, and they market all of what they do to protect the environment from taking the leftover from their ice cream and feeding it to the local pigs, that kind of thing, and having their own water treatment lagoons on site. Um, I was recently in Boulder last month and visited Celestial Seasonings, and it's the same kind of idea that we're promoting health, we're a green company, and there is definitely a market for those higher-end products where that's important. And, and I think, I mean, I think Ben & Jerry's is a good example. Um, I think they're profitable. I, I mean, this is this is not a business that is struggling because they're they're trying to carry this green banner. And I think, in general, when you say Ben and Jerry's, most people agree it's a quality product, and that is okay. Allison, Allison's making you guys come from a very different world. Um, okay, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm getting any big secrets when I point out that you guys um, hang out in progressive circles. Um, I don't come from that world. I come from a different background. I know people who, when you say the name Ben and Jerry, they all spit. Really? Because of their political activism and their stance on these green issues that people see as being um, not economically viable, things like cap and trade that Ben and Jerry supported and many people are vehemently against. Um, you guys see it from one point of view, but there are a lot of people I know who refuse to buy Ben and Jerry's for the exact same reasons you're talking about. I absolutely agree, and that you mean no product is going to hit every target market. Mm -hmm. And Ben and Jerry's has been very good at recognizing that there is a group of people out there with money who are attracted to this idea. You know, and I think that's one of the, and I don't think that's you know, maybe limited to environmental marketing. I think oh, I every company makes decisions about who is my real customer. Um, and can I resonate with them? Because if I try to please everybody, it gets kind of watered down and I don't really resonate with, with anyone. Well, and I think back to your point about not-for-profits, I think a lot of people get involved in their organizations because of their altruistic feelings and their passion, mm -hmm. and they forget that they need money to perpetuate their ideas and to reach their goals, and they don't overlay marketing and communication to a target market into their business plan. So they're not, they don't achieve what they would like to achieve. I even see it with something I did with a marching band, Carmel Marching Band recently. It's not about the kids are fabulous and we love them and they work really hard, but we need to have the rest of the community be involved in what they're doing and they're not necessarily music people. And they're not and they're exactly the parents. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, what are your goals for what you want to do? 
um, how are you going to reach it, and then how are you going to communicate with people so they help you with your goals. That actually segues into um, a great study that came out this week about marketing for symphony orchestras. Did anyone read that? No. Fascinating study. They because what orchestras were trying to do was they were they thought we can just bring people in the door one time, they'll stay. And so they were really focusing on new customer acquisition. That was resulting in a 90% customer churn. Most people, when they came in once, didn't feel welcome, and so they didn't stay. And this study is really revolutionizing the idea of who is uh, you know, a classical music fan, who is coming in those doors. And I think you're talking about much the same thing. I agree. And so what you need to do is create an experience that is relevant for um, for the people that are most likely to come back time and time again, rather than worrying about teasing everybody. I think it's impossible to do that. That's the whole point of target marketing, mm -hmm. is finding the people that are going to be interested and telling them what they want to hear so they come. All right, so who else do you think from an environmental standpoint does a good job? Because um, that's always, because I mean, it, 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 it's sort of fun to look at some of these companies and maybe learn from some of the things they're doing. We talked about Ben and Jerry, Celestial Seasonings. Well, this is a not for profit, but I find uh, Greenpeace to be a pretty interesting organization. I tend to not agree with the way they go about doing things, but I think that they play a very important role in. Um, the environmental world because they make people aware. Their tactics are kind of bizarre sometimes and over the top, but there are a group of people with where that message is going to resonate and that is going to pull them into the into the realm of protecting the environment. I was wandering down the street in Salt Lake and some woman approached me and it was really interesting because she was just trying to get people aware of Greenpeace and get them to go to the website. And what struck me as odd was there was no takeaway for me at that moment. She's like, well, you know, are you aware of our stuff? Yeah. You know, I've I, I, I been to your website. You know, I've made contributions on specific projects that you've done. Yes, okay, those of you that are not necessarily green-oriented, you don't have to hate me because I paid a buck to save a whale. Um, <laughs> but they, there are environmental causes that are, you know, that, that's, you're right. I don't always agree with how they go about it. But I thought that was odd because there was no there was no takeaway at that moment. And so I wasn't really sure why she was on that street corner. Well, and I don't know how much Greenpeace looks at it that way. They seem like they are just a broadcaster. We're going to go out and take over this uh, ship or, you know, chuck things into a big pit or something like that. Which means they do these very over-the-top things. I think it's purely just for awareness. I don't know you're going to do that. Yes, exactly. That's a very good point. So it seems like there are very, very, the more we think about it, there are so many very controversial environmental groups. When you have PETA, who, you know, has naked people on street corners, you know, throws chicken blood on people who wear fur, whatever the case may be. Greenpeace, who takes over whaling vessels and does lots of very strange things. Is that marketing? Do they really believe that these things are helping, or do they think that any publicity is good publicity? What do you think? I think it's probably the latter. I think any publicity is good publicity. And I hope that that then allows the organizations that I truly believe in, like the Nature Conservancy, to take it down a notch and show that there is a real benefit uh, to the environment and to your bottom line, too. Protect the environment. You know, I mean, sometimes I wonder, though, if some of those over-the-top kinds of things, 
um, turn people turn more people off. I mean, and I think that's the risk is that suddenly the nature conservancy, which is more, I think, middle of the road, which is which which does kind of try to strike that balance between economic viability and and sustainable environments. Trying to find that balance has a hard time because people go, oh, you're like Greenpeace, and they're like, mm, no, we're not really. Um, you know, one of the things that um, we didn't get a chance really to talk about things, our other guest was going to be Tom Barron, who ended up having a, a, another uh, conflict this morning. A lot of what he does with um, rainwater and sustainability, a lot of the kinds of programs that he's trying to build momentum around are actually, um, in the long run, less expensive. Um, it's less expensive to maintain these environmentally friendly landscapes. It's less expensive. But it's getting people to sort of switch their mindset on the front end and to have those conversations. It really is. You know, it's, I was reading an article about the uh, solar industry and how out west we have these huge fields of solar panels and trying to bring the cost down of the solar to be able to create these huge fields of solar panels. And I feel like they're missing, completely missing the mark of creating sustainable energy it really should be with, I believe, within each of our homes. We all, it's, the goal should be making solar panels cheap enough for everybody to be, have one on their house and be off the grid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just an example of how there needs to be a paradigm shift in our thinking about how we live on the earth, um, how we go about doing business. Um, and I, and I think Tom is on that path of trying, it is, we can put a roof, gar, a garden on this roof and it's going to have all of these, it's not scary, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's kind of like social media, right? It's <laughs> social media. Like it's the same thing, it's just on a different platform and you like to have conversations with people and that's what social media is. Mm -hmm. It's just really, it's education and it takes a long time for people to move forward. Well, and speaking of that, um, I wanted to bring up briefly here at the end the idea of greenwashing. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, it means basically slapping the name green on any product and then not really backing that up with action like other companies like Celestial Seasonings or Ben and Jerry's do. What do you think about that? Is it A, effective, and B, who's doing it? Um, I couldn't, off the top of my head, give you an example of who's doing it, but I personally don't feel like it's effective. Mm -hmm. um, I feel compa companies that truly believe in what it is they do, regardless of what their bent is, mm -hmm. and they perpetuate that through all their marketing, and they are known for that for a long time, those are the people that are going to be effective, whether it's anti-environment or pro-environment. Anytime you're just trying to take advantage of a fad, it may work initially, but it's not going to be longevity. Well, I think one of the things is consumers are smarter than we give them credit for, and the people that really care about the environment, people that really are kind of dialed in environmentally savvy, are going to look behind the initial, the superficial, and they're going to go, you just slap the label on well, you're slapping a label on a clamshell of plastic that doesn't <laughs> right? You're completely missing the point. No. Yeah, I, I think I think that's very true. I, I think they're kidding themselves because they're not really carving out a niche. If you're not serious about it, don't do it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Awesome. Okay, well, we are almost out of time. It, it, the half hour just flew. Good. 
closing thoughts? Promo for any of the products that you're working on right now? Well, if you have a dog, you need <laughs> to have Poochie Bells. <laughs> They're very easy to teach your dog how to use them. And um, if you have a small business, you can talk to Roundhead or you can talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> how do they find you? Which company? Yeah, how do they oh, find oh. you? Me at Jen Riley Simone on Twitter. And I'm also on LinkedIn as Jennifer Riley Simone. I put up all of Jennifer's various aliases on our Twitter account. You can go there to find them um, and make sure that you follow Furbit, Poochie Bell, and Alpha Graphics. Thank you. Allison, parting thoughts? Parting thoughts, yeah, I think that environmentalism continues to be one of the most important and controversial aspects of life and marketing today, and I'm glad we had the conversation. I am, too. I really enjoyed it. It's always fun to have an excuse to bring uh, Jen back to visit, whether we're carving pumpkins or talking about the environment. If you've enjoyed today's program and you'd like to know more about marketing, networking, niche marketing, social media, be sure to check out our blog at www.roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.